And we're going to try to get through a whole bunch of stuff here by 8 o'clock. We'll do a little Q&A at the end. But I'm calling this message, Thunderous Son, Beloved Disciple, Apostolic Father. This is the three stages, not the only three, but I think the main three stages of John the Apostle's life. Let me say this one more time. Thunderous Son, Beloved Disciple, Apostolic Father. We're going to look tonight at the range that we see in John's life. John goes from this stormy personality to at the end of his life, he's one of the main leaders in the whole Bible, I mean the whole New Testament. It's like how does God take someone who's kind of rough around the edges and turn them into a really significant church father? We see that in John's life. Let me pray, and then we'll, get, we'll really ramp up here. So Father... Lord, I just, I'm thankful for your word tonight. Lord, it's your word that is truth. And it's truth that sets us free. And that's what we want. We want to be free in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray, even as the psalmist prayed, that tonight your word would gain entrance into our heart. And that, Lord, in hearing your words, not just my words, your words, your truth, we would be changed a little bit more into the image of Christ. We would be that much more free. We would leave this place more like you, edified, built up, strengthened to walk with you. And I just pray that you'd give me the grace to communicate and give all of us ears to hear. Lord, even me, Lord, I want to hear what you're saying tonight. And so help us to receive from the life of John, who it says in your word was the disciple that you loved. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen. Real quick, um, I always like to give out notes, mostly so you can kind of look over it on your own time. I do go through them, but just kind of, you know, sporadically. But I want to start in letter A tonight, under the introduction, because we just finished up the series on Nehemiah. Now we're going into a series in John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Those are like the most epic chapters on what it means to love Jesus. If you could just take any chapters in the New Testament and say, what are like the three or four main chapters where I could just say, here's how you love Jesus. John 14 through 70, hands down. Hands down 14 through 17. There are some of the clearest where literally John says repeatedly, this is what it means to love Jesus. This is what it means to love God. This, this, this. And so it's really important stuff. We're going to go into that for the next three to four weeks. But I wanted to start with, I wanted to just look at John's life. Because John not only gave some of the clearest teaching on this subject of discipleship and loving Jesus and being faithful to the end, but his own life was changed so dramatically that it's like, Whatever he believed worked. <laughs> and so it's like, let's look at his life for a minute. Of course, there are two main Johns in the New Testament. There's John the Baptist and there's John the Beloved, the Apostle. We're talking about John the Beloved tonight. And so uh, skipping down to B, I want to spend just a little bit of time looking at John. Like I've said, he gave us some of the best scripture in the New Testament on what it means to follow Jesus and kind of a real-time look. I mean, if you read John's life through the Gospels all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, which he wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then he wrote uh, Revelation. Great co contributor to Scripture. But you see through the, the narrative of the New Testament how profoundly he changed. And so he, he, in essence, goes from a son at the beginning of the story to at the end, he's a father. He's a church father. And we get to see like the whole thing and we see what bridges the two levels of, or the two ends of the spectrum of maturity together is this revelation of the love of God. I mean, there is probably no one in church history more known for receiving and giving love than John the Beloved. He, I mean, he's named John the Beloved. And so... His life is so epic, it's hard to actually even... I mean, he wrote the Bible. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of Scripture in the New Testament. He wrote Scripture, but then he wrote the book of Revelation, which is the most crazy revelation in the New Testament. And so he's one of the 12 apostles. 
He's not only in the inner three, so there was the 12, but then there was the three that got taken to the side a lot with the Lord. But of the three, he was like the top guy. And he was, at times, where even within the three, they would go to John to get certain questions, and John would go ask Jesus. It's not that, and I'm going to make this point probably a number of times tonight, it was not that Jesus favored him more or liked him more than anyone else. It's just John believed in Jesus' love more than anyone, even in the, among the 12. And that's so key because everyone in this room, all the Christians in the whole city, all the Christians in the world, God loves us all equally. We're all his favorites. But some press into that love and believe that love more than others. So they experience more. And so it's not like the Lord withholds or gives more to certain people. It's whoever wants more, like, God, I want to know your love more. And so we study it, we get more. And so John was always next to the Lord, leaning into his bosom, it says many times in the scriptures, hearing his heart, hearing what he was saying. He was often first to know certain things because he just spent time near the Lord. This man's life is worth studying. And so I just thought, let's look at it for at least one night before we launch into what he has to say about what it means to love the Lord. So let's, again, we're going to look at three stages, and I'm going to make some application at the end of each stage. But stage one, I'm calling thunderous sun. Now, why do I, that might seem odd. But it's actually the nickname Jesus gave to John and James. It's right there on the notes, Mark 13. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. So these are two brothers that follow the Lord. To whom he, Jesus, gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. (laughs) So when Jesus first calls these two, one of them's John, one of them James. In fact, the Lord called two or three sets of brothers, which I think is really cool. The Lord's in the family. He calls two or three sets of brothers among the twelve. One of them is James and John. And he says, you guys are so loud and have such intense personalities. I'm going to name you sons of thunder. I mean, just think of, in fact, I've actually looked into this. There are many scholars who've written about why would Jesus say this of them. And there's agreement that their personalities were so big and they were just so boisterous and even unpredictable, that that's why the Lord named them that. And so we first read of John, and he we the first thing we kind of get to know about him is he has this nickname, which Jesus apparently is into nicknames. He gave them the name Sons of Thunder. And um, like I said, uh, there's, there's agreement that this was a reference to their personality and that they were loud, they were temperamental, they would suddenly shift from happy to, ah, you know, like all of us can kind of be sometimes. But they were, I think, at a heightened level to deserve a nickname, Son of Thunder. And so this gives us a little bit of an idea of who John is when he first starts meeting the Lord and first starts following him. He's as unrefined and as temperamental as anybody else in the world would be if they just have a big, strong personality and Jesus just starts calling them. I mean, it's not like Jesus called a bunch of uh, Christ-like men. He he wanted to make them like Christ, but initially, um, these were all characters. They were all folk. They were all rough around the edges, and John was no exception. Sometimes we read people And we think only of the end of their life when they're very mature and we forget there was a journey like we have a journey. I mean, I got saved when I was 18 and I'm telling you, I was as worldly as they come, even though I mean, I grew up Catholic, went to Catholic mass every Sunday. But God to me was an idea that we kind of paid homage to once a week. It wasn't like a burning fire of devotion day in and day out at all. And uh, but at 18, that began to change when I really met the Lord. So John had to meet the Lord like we have to meet the Lord. You know, John, in essence, uh, heard the call, follow me. And John says, okay, I'm in. But he's not changed yet. He's just this loud, boisterous, stormy guy. 
Now, some people would say, well, that's kind of a stretch, Derek. You know, you're kind of reading into Son of Thunder there. Well, let's look at many instances in John's life. I mean, there's so many to go from, but go down to letter B here. In Luke 9, this is the, literally, I mean, this story is so crazy. You guys remember the story, Luke 9, 51 to 56. Jesus and John and some others... They go into the Samaritan village and they reject the message they're trying to bring. And so what what does John and a few others say? What do they try to do about it? Anybody remember that story? That's right. They rejected our message. Jesus, how about we call fire down on them like Elijah did and kill them all? Would that be, you think that'd be good? And Jesus kind of has to have one of those teacher moments where he's like, John, guys, 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 I'm not here to kill people. I'm trying to save and redeem people so that forever we can be together. Like, you got to get with a program. John, John, man, that's why I called you son of thunder. You're so unpredictable. Here we are trying to preach the gospel and you're trying to kill a village of people. Like, just imagine this is what he really thought. I mean, when, when we think of the disciples, again, we try to, you know, we, we, I think we just, we think that they're superhuman, but they're, I mean, there was many teachable moments where it's like, whoa, bro. So John wanted to kill a whole village. Jesus is like, nope, that's, this is not what we're doing here, bro. We're, we're trying to save people. We're trying to help people. In another instance, we see a real interesting family dynamic. This is in Matthew 20, 21 to, uh, 20 to 21, and also in Mark 10 to 35. Two different instances. One time, James and John go secretly to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, we, we believe you're the Messiah, but can we be like the top two in your kingdom? Can we, is there some kind of arrangement we can make to be like, when your kingdom comes, can we be first and second? Can we be like at your right hand? That was the idea of the message, and the Lord's like, I, What? What are you talking about? Like the audacity that you would have to like want to do that. But so then he gives them a whole sermon on be a servant and you'll be great and all that. But, but so they try and get rejected. So guess what happens? Their mom tries. <laughs> this is the funniest story. I, I mean, the Bible is so funny if you just read it. But they try, get rejected. Then mom takes them with. She asks the same thing. Hey, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah. Kingdom's coming and all that. Can you just make sure my boys are like like kind of a big deal in that kingdom? She tries to kind of go mafia on them and try you know tries to kind of sell them and he's like this is not how this works. Because the way we become great in the kingdom is by being servants now. And so he kind of uses it he could have really reproved and rebuked but he's so kind always. He he knows that all of us were so not thinking like on his level. He kind of uses it as a teachable moment and says, you dedicate your life to serving one another, you will be great in the kingdom. But to say first, second, and third and all that, be at my right hand or my left, that's, that's not something I'm going to you know, give you too much insight on right now. Just serve people. And so I just think you, you see a couple of these instances of the family dynamics, the audacity, the calling fire down. These were some big personalities that, and Jesus was not intimidated by that. He invited them into the 12. The Lord loves soft personalities. He loves hardcore personality. He loves loud and quiet. He loves them all equally. He's not intimidated by introverted or extroverted. He knows how to deal with us and how to shift and change our hearts. But it just so happened that John was a character. And he just, you know, we see Peter getting rebuked a lot. Well, John got his fair share of reproof and rebuke as well. I mean, when you call people to be voices for, with a message, they're going to say a lot of crazy stuff. And so he had to work with them for a few years. Now let's make this personal. Uh, John's boldness would obviously be very helpful one day as, a, as an apostle. He was going to defend the faith. There was going to be many false teachers. There was going to be a need to have this big personality say, no, we reject that. We believe this. We're, we're not going there. This is the way we're going. Like, that takes, that takes you know, courage. And John was going to need that. But his youth combined with this unpredictable, stormy personality could also hurt a lot of people. And so the Lord had to work on him. 
So in this stage of John's life, he really needed to take a deep dive into the love of Jesus and to really begin to learn like, okay, you've called me to this apostolic thing. I'm going to have to lead people, but I'm always mad and wanting to kill people. And I really just concerned about being famous. Like, how, how do I do this, Lord? And so the Lord basically says, I'm going to take you through a three-year seminary where you're just going to be in love with me. And that's going to define your life. And John, we're going to look at the next stage at that. So let me ask a few questions. And this is just for reflection later. What are some of your strengths and some of your weaknesses in your personality? And are you inviting Jesus to reveal his love in those maybe unrefined areas or maybe even sinful areas? Are there places in your personality where... Yes, that's your strength, but it needs a little bit tempered so that it helps people instead of harms them. You know, really the ultimate litmus test is if, we, if we're really regularly hurting people with our personality, we need to do kind of a heart check and go, okay, God, I'm called to help people. I'm called to help people heal and make them healthy by the grace of God. So show me why is it that this person's hurt, that person's hurt, help us. And so that's a great question just to be keeping in mind. Lord, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? How can I respond to your grace so that where I am weak, I can be more helpful than harmful? And we'll see here in the next stage that really the pathway forward in any weakness in us is not like, Lord, I'm going to change. I really mean it this time. We just pound our fist on the table and we really mean it. It's actually the way to change is to receive a greater revelation of Jesus' love for us. Because when we really believe he loves us when we're weak, we in turn love weak people when we see their weaknesses. And there's just a profound change that happens. So it's not try harder. That's not the Christian message, by the way. That's legalism. That's religion is try harder. The gospel is let me show you how much I love you and you will transform. That's Jesus. Jesus... The grit your teeth, try harder, just it leads to so much condemnation because we know we're not different. And we're just, a, we're just more bothered. Like, oh, I really thought I'd be different this year, but we're not. The whole mindset of that, we just got to get into and believe he loves us. So let's look at that. This is stage two now. Stage one, just stormy personality, just meets the Lord. Now he's following the Lord. And he's writing the Gospel of John. He doesn't start to say this till way past midway throughout his Gospel, but at some point in his following the Lord, in John 13, 23, John begins to refer to himself as what? The disciple whom Jesus loved. No other Gospel writer says anything like this. Throughout the Gospel of John, John's talking about himself. He doesn't just say me all the time. Five or six or seven times, he, he refers to himself in the story and says, and the disciple that Jesus loved did this. Or the disciple that Jesus loved said that. And he was, of course, talking about himself. This was more than just fancy autobiographical you know, literature. This is like his, this is my identity. I am loved by Jesus. And he, he camped there for most of the ministry while Jesus was on the earth. Again, it's only about three-year seminary. That's a quick one. So letter A, throughout that gospel that he penned, John the Apostle, referring to himself as the one that Jesus loved, gives us a glimpse into his inner life. At some point, the inner life began to shift from I'm this big, loud personality, son of thunder. Now he's thinking, I'm just loved. (laughs) I love Jesus. He loves me. We're good. I, when he's sitting down eating, I'm sitting next to him. So at some point, he just believed that he was deeply loved. I mean, that's something that can only be given by the Holy Spirit. But he talks about it a lot. And it seems to indicate he got it at a level other disciples didn't get it. And again, we all can say, Lord, show me your love and walk in a greater revelation of, of love. He shows us that you can do it. Now, we're all going to be different. We're all going to have different callings. We're all going to have different jobs. And we're called to so many different things. 
But we can all have this revelation of love that energizes our life. And so don't think that he wants all of us to do the same thing, think the same way, say the thing, say, uh, same things. He, he loves diversity. He loves diversity of thought. He loves different theological persuasions even. But there is this issue of love. If we get an understanding of how much he loves us and that gets rooted in our heart system, that becomes our life narrative that I'm loved and I'm called to love others, it's really hard to get off track with that. It's really hard to burn out. It's, it's hard to go. I mean, that's the main thing. Um, again, I wrote down here, I'll just reiterate. All believers then and now are loved equally by God. There's no person out in the world who's prayed so much that, oh, they're on another level. No, everybody is loved the exact same by God. Every believer. Okay, I would argue that God loves everybody on the earth, even unbelievers, with the same love. But when we get saved, now we're in the family. Okay? I've heard scholars debate. Maybe there's a different love when you're in. I just think He's God and He fully loves us and He can't love us more and He can't love us less. He's God. Now, it doesn't mean everybody's saved, that's universalism, but what it does mean is the Lord loved me deeply when I was unsaved, and He revealed His Son to me, and now I'm saved and I'm good, I mean, I'm going to heaven, but He loves me the same, if that makes sense. He's always loved me with such passion, and He's loved you like that. It wasn't like He didn't love you, and now He loves you because you're saved. That doesn't... That doesn't doesn't make sense. God, it says in John 3, 16, he, loved, he so loved the world that He sent His Son. So that, that love even predated your salvation. Anyway, that's a little off topic. Let me get back to my notes. That's always the safe place. I just got to find where I was. Yes, there we are. He loves us equally, but here's the thing. Not everyone believes it. This is so critical. Do you remember the prayer that John pray, uh, uh, Paul prayed in Ephesians 3? Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, that we would know the love of God, that we would know the height and the depth and the width and the length. Paul is another example of someone so wrecked by God's love. Imagine being the chief persecutor of the church and you get blown over on a walk one day with a giant ball of light that says, I'm Jesus. You need to serve me now. I mean, that's quite a testimony. And just get wrecked. Then your eyesight gets miraculously healed. And your whole you know, world's turned upside down. And then by the time he's writing to the Ephesians, he's saying, this man is so incredible. I just want you to know how much he loves you. And so he's literally praying this. He's praying that you'd be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts that you would be able to comprehend, that all of the saints would comprehend the width, length, depth, height, every dimension of the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It's beyond, it's beyond our comprehension. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. Oh, he just this prayer is so incredible. Pray it over your own life. Pray that you would know this God who sets in motion this plan of redemption because he loves people. I mean, God who was before anything makes the world and sets in motion this plan that dates back to Adam and Eve just because he loves people. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Paul says, wrap your mind around that. Pray into that. Some people believe in this love and therefore their life goes on a different trajectory. Their effectiveness increases. Let's go down to letter B here. Imagine this. Imagine you're John. You've walked with the Lord three years now. Now you're Messiah, Jesus. You've followed Him for three years. He's dying on the cross. You're totally bewildered. You're like thinking, man, I thought he was the guy. thought the kingdom was coming. Now he's on the cross. He's dying. And the final thing that Jesus says on the cross 
of all the things you could say while you're dying, like I've never been dying on a cross, but I mean, I don't think I'd be thinking of people. I think I'd be in pain. Jesus is brutally tortured. He's dying on the cross. He can barely breathe. He's a, his spirit's about to leave his body. And he's thinking of John. And literally it says, John and Jesus' mom Mary, they're off on the side, and Jesus looks over at John. He says, John... That's your mother now. And mom, that's your son. And then he dies. It's like, what a weighty message right before he dies. What's the final message that Jesus gives you? Like he doesn't say, John, you're going to have an amazing ministry. You're going to write the book of Revelation. It is going to be amazing. And then die. Like how many people would want that? He just looks over and he says, Take care of my mom the rest of her life. That's your son now. Take care of him. Dead. What an intense word. Jesus was thinking in his unimaginable pain. He was thinking of mom and he was thinking of his top guy. Here's what you got to do. I mean, I'm sure John's thinking like, give me one final word, Lord. Like, how do I, I don't even know, how do I make this? I thought you were the guy. You're, You're dying and you're probably wanting some clarity. He probably had a freak out moment, maybe a little panic. And he probably gets hit with this word like, what do I do with that? It says in that next verse, it says, he takes her into his house, begins to care for Jesus' mom, Mary. And my personal take on that is that that was the indication of his transition to the next stage of his life, which... Again, he was this kind of squirrely, stormy guy before he met the Lord. Now he's kind of been in love with Jesus for a few years now. And now the Lord's kind of kicking him out of the nest. You're called to be a father. I need you to start taking care of people. John, you are in love with me, but you can't stop there. I need you to go lead the church. And that's hard work. Because some of us, what we want to do is we just want to fall in love with Jesus and stop there. That's, that's great. We do fall in love with the Lord. But the Lord's like, no, I've got more for you now. Keep that, but now go help other people find that. And start taking care of people. Bring them into your home. Show them what love is. Compassion, care, hospitality. Be the church father that everybody needs. And I'm sure, I mean, when you go through a three-year program like that, you're feeling like, I need about 33 more years before I'm ready to do what you want me to do. But it was... I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus 2,000 years ago, your Bible college is three years and you're kicked out of the nest, you go do it. You know, now we just kind of want, Lord, maybe, you know, when I'm 70, I'll be ready. John was apparently ready because Jesus was going to die and he needed, he needed someone to begin to care for his church. Of course, we know the rest of the story. He didn't stay dead. He, praise God, got out of that grave. He received a resurrected body. He appeared to many witnesses. He went around appearing to people. I mean, if I, if I died and resurrected, I'd love to just randomly appear to people and see what happened. That, that would, I mean, you guys, he has a sense of humor. Okay. When he just showed up in a room and everybody's like, ah, and he's like, be at peace. You know, I guarantee he kind of chuckled. And then he appeared to Thomas Oh, man, there's just so much cool stuff there. But he was already helping John make this transition. Okay, you followed me. You know my love. Take care of my mom. Take care of my people. I told Peter he's got to feed my sheep. I'm telling you, you got to start watching people, you know, caring for... This is a a new level. And so let's look at this um, personal application for a moment. I wrote down here that John changed as he followed Jesus. John changed. Again, big personality, real loud. Now he's just he's just he's in love now. The narrative of his mind and his heart shifted. He he wasn't just unpredictable anymore. He was shifting and changing. And he was learning to be loved and to love. So here's the thing. Catch this. We know as Christians, i got to love people. 
But what you don't hear a lot in church or a lot of messages is to do that, you have to be loved. Right? You have to know how to let God love you in all of those different places of your heart that are hurting or didn't get love as a child or whatever. We have to learn. God, love me in that area. Teach me how to feel loved there. Because when we're loved there, love just flows out. And other people feel loved. When all of those wounds that we've gone through in life begin to be filled up with the love of Jesus, and we begin to see, oh, that's why you allowed that. You had a bigger plan. The whole Joseph thing. I mean, what a, what a terrible life if not for the rest of the story. Joseph is like, guys, that crushed my heart what you did to me. But I know God had a plan in it. He wanted to raise me up to do this thing in Egypt and lead and, and help people in famine. And now I can help my family. And so there was purpose in it. When we let the love of Jesus touch all of those places of our heart, we get perspective and we're able to love others. Joseph was so tender at the end of his life, he wept openly in front of his family. He was not bitter. He was not vengeful. He wept. And he had a favorite, Benjamin. He gave him like twice the food. That makes me laugh every time I read it. I'm like, well, you love your bro. I mean, if you're that powerful and you have kind of a favorite, <laughs> he just gave him like a bunch of extra food. It's like, what a bro thing to do. Anyway... John changed. He learned to be loved. This is not anything to do with masculinity or femininity. You know, when I first got saved, I had such an aversion to talking about love. I had no idea it was the main thing in the Bible. I was saved, and I wanted to see miracles. I want to talk about 40-day fasts. I want to talk about resurrections from the dead. Anything in the Bible that is intense, that's what I want. And the Lord's like, I like guys like you. I'm going to take you deep into my love. <laughs> I began to realize over the years that anybody that's really done anything for the Lord, whether in the New Testament or in church history, they were deeply in love with God. They didn't miss that major point. I used to think the secret was to just really go for it. Really fast hard. And I've learned over time the secret is to really know how loved we are and to seek to love God. Where are you at in your journey of learning to be loved and to love? Where are you at in that journey? Let me say that a little differently. Is there a narrative developing in your mind, in your thinking, or your emotions, your heart, is there a narrative that's been developing where you're, you're talking to the Lord, Lord, show me your love. I want to feel it. I want to know it. Show it to me in your word. Where are you at in that story? Because the more that takes over, because we're going we're gonna to sign up for a narrative in our life. We're either going to sign up for that narrative that's basically one end of the spectrum is, I've been wronged my whole life that entitlement narrative where we're just kind of bitter or on the other end of the spectrum is I'm so blessed Jesus loves me I'm just going to love people no matter what they do to me no matter what they say I'm just going to try my best to be patient to be kind to respond in the right spirit because I'm saved God loves me I'm going to live forever in a perfect body like life's not that bad yeah, that person's mad at me. Who cares? I'm going to love them. Like, what narrative are you going to sign up for? Because we sign up for something. Many people choose wrongly. They come over here and I'm so wrong. My pastor said this. My boss said that. I should have gotten this over there. And they, they get stuck in the entitlement. They should have had a better life. This should have happened. And their thinking and their emotions is so over here and not in this love narrative where, man, my Father in heaven loves me. He's loved me before the world even was created. How blessed am I? I got kids. I've got money in the bank, clothes on my back. I got a house, car, all these things. Like, what? Like, sign up for the right narrative. This is huge. Absolutely massive. Like, on the worst day, <laughs> like, you are so loved by God. It makes your day better. Okay, 
Last little personal application on stage two is, do you believe that loving God and others is ultimate? Matthew 22, 37 to 40, Jesus very clearly said, to love God and to love others, it's the first and second commandment. It's the first and the great commandment. There's nothing greater in all the kingdom of God than loving God and loving people. That's it. That's the big one. But in our own heart and mind, is that number one and two? If it's seven and eight or 12, 13, we won't experience the benefit that Jesus has designed for that to be when it's at one and two. I mean, it's so simple. God loves me. I love him back. Help me to love people, Lord. Let that just be my life. (laughs) That's being a disciple. In fact, John, it's like all through the Gospel of John and then his letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he just keeps repeating that. If you love God, do what he says. Love people. It's so simple. Jesus actually said the entirety of the Old Testament, love God and people. That's all the law and the prophets, love God and people. And I'm, I'm using people and neighbor interchangeably. When, when Jesus taught, what does it mean to love your neighbor? He said, anyone, basically. Especially those unlike us. Okay, that's another message though. Let's go close this out. I'm coming to time here. Stage three. So we get the thunderous, immature Stormy personality. Now he's in love with the Lord. And now Jesus kicks him out of the nest. Take care of my mom. Lead my church. We see at the end of his writings, at the end of his life, John wrote this letter toward the end of his life. In 3 John 1.4, he makes this statement. And actually in 2 John and 3 John, he says, I have no greater joy. There is nothing that makes me happier than seeing my children walk in truth. How do you get from the stormy, immature guy to the thing that makes me happiest is my spiritual kids are following Jesus. That's all I care about right now. Like, How do you get a guy from there to there? That's un- it's called the leadership of Jesus, the great shepherd over our souls. He knows what we need to get us from where we're at to who we're called to be. He's a genius. He knows all the circumstances. He knows all the dynamics and the pressures and the ups and downs and the trials and the victories to get us to a point where, like John could say, now I'm aged, now I'm older, and really the thing that gives me the greatest joy, the people I've poured into, the really living it. Wow. He's a true father at this stage of his life. He's an apostle And he loves his sons and daughters. He is one of the most well-known apostles on the earth at that time. They didn't have smartphones and technology and all that, so it wasn't like you could go to his website. But he was very influential, so much so that they, they imprison him and later kill him because he's so influential. I mean, he is he's in prison when he writes the book of Revelation. And here's the good news. You can be in prison behind jail cell iron bars. God can still get in. And ooh, God got in. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to take this boy on a ride. And he got a whole a bunch of visions and revelations. And he wrote that thing down. A bunch of churches got a letter out of it. I mean, what? A cool Bible study you can do on your own, this is a side note, is how much revelation was given to people while they were in prison. It is all over the Bible. It doesn't really make me want to pray like, Lord, put me in prison. Not quite yet. But I just noticed there's a trend from Joseph all the way to John, Genesis to Revelation. People who were in prison got a lot of insight. Wow. Now, sometimes we pray for the persecuted church. We're like, Lord, have mercy. They're probably in jail, suffering. Some of them are ha- they're having encounters with the Lord. Now, I'm like, when I see the story of Peter, they prayed him out of jail. We need to do that. But some people are going to take a, you know, they're going to take some time in there. They're going to get some insight, write a book, and then they'll be let out. But if I end up in prison, pray me out, please. I'll write while I'm there. Thank you. I'll think about it. Thank you, Curtis. 
I always tell people, it's biblical to pray people out of jail. That's what they did for Peter. Do it for me. It's, you know, we're in the middle of America, so I, I think I'm good, but you never know. Last couple statements here. John's fatherly, friendly heart comes out in these last letters. The main theme that we see is that he is a true father. He cares about other people. In fact, he cares enough, he writes individuals' letters like Paul started doing. He, he concerns himself with... He actually takes time to write one letter to one person just to address situations. I mean, that's cool. I mean, when you're at the highest level of leadership, you can just kind of be like, ah, I'm, I'm the Apostle John. But no, he's so concerned with the church... I remember that verse where it says about Paul where he goes through the list and he's like, man, I've been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been left for dead. And at the end of the list, what's he say? He says, besides all that, there's something that comes upon me daily. You remember what it is? He says, my deep concern for the church. Because he really cared. He really cared. And John, the same way, Undoubtedly, every day of his life, Lord, touch your church. Bring her to maturity. Let your children walk in truth. He was praying this stuff, writing letters, helping people. His chief joy in life was no longer about his own success or his ministry. It was no longer about him. That's how you know a a father is really a father or a mother. Again, when I say father, I mean fathers and mothers. Because mothers are called to mother, fathers are called to father. Both natural and spiritual. Okay, our, our physical families, but also people we influence. Right? When someone's a father or someone's a mother, it's no longer about their life. It's about your kids. That's what parents do. I had dreams, but now I got kids. And so, it's not that I stopped dreaming. But I'm really interested in those kids and that they go wherever they're called to be. That's what a father and mother thinks like. It's no longer like, man, how can I be the top guy at that speaking conference? How can I? It's like, no, you want your kids to far exceed you. That's what parents do and that's what spiritual parents do. Guys, when we send people out of this little prayer room to do stuff all over the world, I'm thinking, let them go way beyond what we're thinking. And let my kids go way beyond what I'm thinking. That's what, when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.15, I'm giving you so many verses, I do apologize, but there's just so much here. Paul talked about how there's so many instructors. There's 10,000 instructors, but there's few fathers. What was he talking about? He was talking about people who just really care. Because so many people want to be on stage. So many people want to hold the mic. So many people want to be the people with notoriety. But there's, there's so few who just want to parent. And what's, a, what's the difference? The difference is some people want to do an hour on a stage, and there's parents, it's 24 hours a day. Changing diapers. I mean, when you parent, you say, okay, you're a spiritual infant. I'm, gonna clean, I'm committing to cleaning that diaper and cleaning all that spit up and puke till you grow and mature and you're able to do your own thing. It's a lifelong commitment to help people. It's hard work and it's thankless. No one, I mean, so much of what we do as parents and as we aspire to be spiritual moms and dads, so much of what we do is not seen. In fact, I would say 90% of ministry is not on a stage has nothing to do with something like this. It's the closed-door meetings. It's the prayer, one and two people on the side. That's all the stuff. And so my question in, in closing stage three is, are you willing to let Jesus make you a spiritual father or mother? Because God is looking for parents. He doesn't just want instructors. He doesn't want people who want to just itinerate, get on a stage and say something and leave. No, he wants people that will be willing to help people for the long run. I am. Come on now. Curtis, I know you're signed up for this. And I don't know, maybe you're thinking, where am I at in this? Let the Holy Spirit tell you. 
because I think in different seasons, God's doing different things in our life. But the ultimate point is, let Him, let him refine those parts of our personality that are getting in the way of helping people. Let's fall in love with Jesus and keep that main and plain and central in our life, but then let's help other people as well. And let's not let it be about us. Let's let it be about the other people we're helping. You know, if, if I do this faithfully, and this is never a big deal, and someone I end up touching ends up being a big deal, and I fade into the background, and they just do their huge thing, that would be the joy of my life. And we'll sort it all out in heaven. Jesus will do all of his rewards and all that. But really, I'm just interested in being faithful. I'd love to be, quote-unquote, successful, but that's God's business. I just believe that if we're faithful every day to do what we know to do and what God's revealed to us, that's success. And it's God's business to take the lever and say big or small or lots of money or little. It's totally up to Him. But man, as long as I am called to influence uh, just a few people, I would, I would call us to aspire to be, a, to be a spiritual mom and a spiritual dad. To be able to disciple others. To be able to help them in their journey. And to, I mean, lifelong commitment is what I'm talking about. Because when you're a parent in the natural, it's not like, oh, you're 25, see you later. That's, that's forever. When, you're, when you start having kids, that's for life. You know what I mean? That's... <laughs> That's why it's pretty intense. Some of the moms in here know. I don't know if we have any other dads right now, but for those on the recording, whether you're a mom or a dad, I mean, it's intense because it's lifelong. I mean, Mandy, we fall in love, babies start coming, and then it dawns on you, this is forever. Whoa, no one told me. The, so yeah, you figure that one out. When we're spiritual parents, we're not thinking, okay, when can I get rid of this person? Or when does this... No, it's, it's forever. And the more we fall in love with the Lord or we let Him love us, our heart just becomes this thing where we just want to help people. And that's... I remember sitting in a leadership meeting. I'm bringing this to a close. Sitting in a leadership meeting as we began the house of prayer. This is six, seven years ago. And I remember sitting in a meeting and we just, a bunch of leaders and different people sharing their insights and thoughts on House of Prayer and it just came to me and people were like, you know, why are you doing this? And, and I just, in that moment, I, I just was struck with the, I'm like, I just, I love the Lord so much, I just want to, I want to go to the next level. Like, I no longer want it to just be about having a radical quiet time. I want to plant something that really does... I mean, I want to do something hard that will cost me something so that people are touched, so that the city shifts. Like, I want to do something. And I wouldn't do it if God didn't call me to it and give me a building supernaturally and all these things. But I'm like, I just... I felt like my life was shifting in a sense like John from I love you Jesus to now go help other people love Jesus and help them realize it's not just for college, it's not just a five, ten year thing, it's for life. Discipleship is for life until we take our last breath. And there need to be fathers and mothers that say, hey guys, I'm, I'm not doing it perfect, but we're still going. We're doing this all the way to the end and then we're taking our kids with and then their kids with and we're going for it. I've gone too long. I will end right there. That is the three stages of John the Apostle's life, at least three that I could find. Amen. Amen. It's 8.01. One minute over. Forgive me, Curtis. Mm -hmm. Next week we'll talk about unforgiveness. (laughs) <laughs> All right, maybe one or two questions that I could really quickly clarify and then we'll we'll wrap up. Any questions? Any questions? Mandy, you got anything back there? You're not starting to get a runny nose, are you? 
because you gave me a kissy earlier and now I'm nervous. I don't want to catch your runny nose. Okay, TMI. Any, any thoughts, any questions? Roshan. Right. Okay, Rosh's question is, what are some of the things that today stop us from loving God? Or what was, was that your question? Uh, from experiencing the love of God. From experiencing it? Yeah, in your, in your opinion, like, what are What's my opinion? Why don't people experience God's love? Okay. I've got a series coming up on that. So that's my next three, four, five weeks will be going to hit that. So check out my notes and messages online if you're not here. Um, Mm. Off the bat, I don't, I don't know if I can say this succinctly, but I'll try. It's not, being loved and loving God is, is not a, it's not as talked about as it should be. So it's just not on radars. And also in the West in particular, but I think maybe worldwide, there's just a lot of versions of Christianity that allow for compromise that people are signing up for. And so their, their, their life is like, well, my pastor told me that I can live in compromise and be loved by God. And so there's so much of that rush, in my opinion, this is very common, that there's, there's just people aren't hearing about it and they're just, they're not really living in that place of, Obedience, And we learn in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, John says many times, this is what it means to love Jesus, to obey His commands. And when we begin to obey His commands in a serious way, we set our life up for regular encounter with the Lord. And when we're not living that, and we don't know about it, we just miss it. And it's very unfortunate. This is why I'm teaching on it. So that 5, 10, 20, 30 more people go, wow, there it is in the Bible. Like, I want to do what Jesus said so that like, he's, like Jesus says, if you do what I say, my Father will manifest himself to you. There's things like that that he says. But to get in, we have to be a, a obedient. And I'm going to talk a lot about, you know, when Jesus called the disciples initially, he said, guys, come follow me. I mean, there was no like, and then I'll be your friend one day, and then you'll really like it one day. <clears throat> I mean, the initial message was just follow me. And it was like, okay, you know. So we, when we obey, we, we're like, we're in. But then there's so much more after that. I just think a lot of people miss because they're not really seriously committed. And you can be seriously committed and have lots of faults and sins. But seriously committed is different than I don't care. And a lot of people just don't care because their preacher doesn't talk about it a lot and when he does it's kind of like yeah boys will be boys do your thing girls will be girls do your it's there's just not a clear call like john called people and paul and all the disciples and jesus and the whole new testament which was clearly repent follow jesus obey but that's not the end if that's the end of the message again that's religion but the full message is so that you encounter god and that you experience his joy his love and so, that's my short answer. Does that does that help or any follow up there? <laughs> I think number the big one is just it's not talked about so much. Like, there's not a lot of people, and again, I don't listen to every preacher in the world, but where people are just clearly saying what's number one and what's number two? God, love and love. That's so huge. Like Jesus said this. It wasn't like grace and grace. Or it wasn't like mercy and mercy, although I love all that. Or miracles and miracles. I mean, it was love God and love your neighbor. Like, that is intense. That's the first and second, first great commandment. So it, we have to talk about it. And I think if we get that, everything else hangs on it. We get other stuff. We get miracles, signs, wonders, all that. So... And if we, if we just go after miracles and we don't get falling in love with Jesus, I don't want to hear... I never knew you. You know, there, the, Jesus said, some people say I did miracles and deliverance and all this stuff, and I never knew you. Anyway, 
Curtis, you had one. Oh, oh. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Yes. You realize that you never cease to be that learning person. Oh, absolutely. Whatever John had to impart had to be imparted to them first. Yes. And had they had to walk through. Yep. So in some areas of one's life they may be that mother. Mm-hmm. But that had to be imparted to them. Excellent. From someone, either from That's right. Amen. Yep. And I do watch that child go. And I just, I, I some people I've encountered, I lived in Minneapolis for a time, some people I encountered there, I see them now on Facebook. Mm. And I think, I got a part in that child. Like, oh, Amen. Come on. Because other people she or he encountered. That's right. And I'm just so thrilled to see And it's just, I'm just like, I always, my sister, she could, I call her the seed, not that once before, the seed of our family, because she can see how far other people that she mm. touched, how far they've gone. And it started with God using her and her putting down her life because. She loved and was loved by her father. And she knew that love so much. Mm. Any age of her life, I was, as you were speaking, I thought, well, any age of her life, we are the right. sons of thunder. Amen. We see something. Yeah. And boy, that's got to be straightened out. And even then, you become beloved because Jesus, and each day I would hope we'd all know about being the beloved. Yes. And Jesus comes, you know, and then what we receive. In that loving kindness, we impart and can impart as right. mothers and fathers mm. to watch others, even if it's just a little something. It doesn't even have to be a big sermon. That's right. That's right. Amen. Else, Amen. Prayer said, but that was, as I see it all, and I, I don't think this is probably not a two-minute thought to many of us. I, I, I like it. See it all. We, to be all of those. Mm. To be all. Because we're all of us. 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 Because we're and I just feel like as you're sharing, Lori, that you're going to continue to influence more people and and mother them. I don't know what it'll look like, but no one's too old, no one's too young. And a lot of people think, oh, I need a spiritual father. You know, and that grieves me when, when we don't, when someone doesn't have a spiritual father, it's like, ah, oh, who, who could have been that person? But no matter what your spiritual father or mother happened or whatever, we just have to ask God, make me that for the next person because they're going to need one. You know what I mean? It's easy to be like, well, I didn't have Jesus as my spiritual father. I can't make it. It's crazy that even Judas had Jesus as spiritual father and he didn't make it. It's like we always think, if I had a better pastor, if I had this or that. But again, entitlement narrative, I was so wronged. Let's just sign up for that love narrative where it's like, I just want to be a father to someone else if they want it. 
I'll help them as much as I can. And so I do my best. We all do our best. There's no perfect parents. Yep, go ahead. And a good kick in the rear sometimes. <laughs> no, you know what? You, I think you have the wiser response. That's right. You know what? The reality is when you really do care, and you know this, no matter the distance, no matter how much someone rebels, no matter how much someone hates you because you tried to help them, because I got my fair share of crazy, you know, you try to help people and then they just, whatever. You never stop caring. No matter what, you always care and you keep praying. Sometimes it works out again. But that's the painful thing about when God shifts you into that fatherly, motherly motivation is you just care and you care all the time and it's like you can't turn it off. And, and so you find yourself praying. And you, I, sometimes I'm like, Lord, should I say something? Should I not? You know, you... Again, and I'm just learning. I'm just I'm at the beginning of this journey of trying to help others. And so yeah, some days I'm like, uh, oh, there's that old man creeping up, that son of thunder, you know, old man sinful I gotta deal with that. And you know, so yeah, sometimes the stages aren't clear cut. You know, some days are in the one sense we kind of mature throughout our life and there's there's kind of clear indication, but then within those, you, you wrestle each day, you know. But it's worth it in the end. You know, one thing I didn't add onto the notes, but but when when John had the revelatory experience and he wrote the book of Revelation from it, one of the things he saw was the the wall around the New Jerusalem which is going to come down to the earth one day. And it says it had 12 foundations. And what he wrote was each foundation had the names of the apostles of the Lamb. Which means, he didn't say this about himself, but he saw his own name written, etched on one of the foundations. I mean, imagine you're like John and you're like, my name's on it. Whoa, I didn't know my life was going to be this epic, but... Wow, like my, you know, so he probably just bugged out at that moment. He was like 80 or 90 years old at that point and about to die. But, you know, we just don't know sometimes that if we just faithfully follow the Lord and try to help other people, how epic really our life really ends up being. So keep at it. Keep at it. Last one, Curtis. Better be a good one, man. <laughs> Uh huh. Or going out, or just being be, be a big man. And that really kind of gave me peace when you said that. Mm. I always looked at myself so like I'm not radical, so I'm not getting recognition up here, like standing up on the pulpit, giving my testimony in front of hundreds of people, and I'm not being moved by it, and I'm not moving people that mm. way. So, man, what am I doing wrong, God? Help me get to that point where I'm able to do that. You know, they maybe realize, like, well, Right. Right. Bro, you're doing it. I mean, I think of the lady that one time you invited to the house of prayer because you witnessed to her on the bus. No one's doing that. I mean, that only Curtis is doing that. I mean, so many people don't even think of that. I mean, that's you, bro. I mean, so yeah, you can't compare yourself to. I mean, if I compare myself to Reinhard Bonnke, who's now with the Lord, but I mean, he would preach to literally millions of people. If I'm thinking, when am I going to do that? I mean, I'm just condemned every day of my life. Or when am I going to see thousands, you know? So I just got to be faithful with what I'm called to do. And uh, whether you're on a stage or not, I mean, it's just the pay's the same in the end, bro. Faithfulness is what gets rewarded. Amen. So be at peace, bro. Sorry. Yep. Great question. No, 
Oh my. I feel like I've heard the name at one point, but I can't remember right now. But yeah, someone had to lead Billy Graham to the Lord. Someone had to teach him in Sunday school. It's not about numbers and size. It's just about being faithful. Amen. Well, let's end there. We'll just we'll call that a night. Make sure you give someone a hug and uh, tell them that they are loved. And Mandy, I will try to help you here in one second. <laughs> okay, Lord, we just thank you for this night and we just pray that your word again, it would find entrance into our heart. Lord, help us. Lord, just to be, to realize tonight by revelation how loved we are. Lord, who are we that you would go to the cross for us, Lord? And that you would reveal your son in our life and give us eternal life. Lord, we're just so blessed. Help us to live in that place. Excuse me. And, and mold us and shape us over time to be the fathers and the mothers that you're calling us to be, Lord. To be the disciplers, Lord. To help others find their walk with Christ. Uh, I pray this not only over this house and those gathered and those on Facebook or listening to the recording, but I pray that over our city. I pray that over our nation. I pray that over our generation. God, that we would be a generation of mothers and fathers, God. More interested in helping spiritual sons and daughters walk with Jesus than any other notoriety or reward or, or being noticed or being on stage or something like that, God. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.